This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. Visit JabberjawMedia.com for more shows like this one. Today's show is sponsored by ZipRecruiter. Are you hiring? Do you know where to find the perfect candidate? ZipRecruiter finds candidates in any city or industry nationwide. Right now, our listeners can post jobs for free by going to ZipRecruiter.com slash first. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash first. Today's show is also sponsored by Blue Apron. For less than $10 per meal, Blue Apron delivers the fresh ingredients you need to create home-cooked meals. Check out this week's menu and get your first three meals for free with free shipping by going to blueapron.com slash badchristian. You are now entering the Bad Christian Podcast. Ain't no Joey, just Matt and Toby. Three, Best show two, ever. Here one, we go, let's show go. Woo, man, I feel like there is a weight. A weight lifted off my shoulders with no Joey Spencer. No Pastor Joey Spencer here. I feel like finally the truth can be told. I feel like we won't be held back by the old ways of man. Well, this episode is going to be free and truthful, Matt. Finally, the old ways of man are passed away, and we are moving <laughs> forward. Well, it is that season. It's summertime, and Joey's on vacation. Now, this will show you what a unprofessional dummy train we have running here. We just accidentally crept up on episode 300, by the way. So many would take this as a, as a mile marker of something, and we have a special episode. But, you know, a third of us ain't even here. And I just, I just figured it out last night uh, when I put the ads in the folder when I was making the episode ready that oh we're on 300 now so welcome to episode 300 everybody we made it yeah man. We, we, <laughs> oh man i don't i don't celebrate well i don't vacation yeah, well i don't celebrate well like my my 40th birthday jess goes hey let's have a party i, I think we should invite a bunch of people over our house if you want a theme or anything like so i know you like mexican food where we can do like you know uh, whatever, we'll get a bunch of tortillas and grilled meat, steak and chicken, all this stuff. I was like, nah, let's just, let's uh, just not. Let's, uh, I, I, and we didn't. <laughs> it was kind of a quiet night at home. <laughs> well, we won't, we won't bore people with the, 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 the lame version of the podcast that doesn't have the, the all-star Joey's fencing. I know he's everybody's favorite person. Hold on, and- Matt. Uh, oh my gosh. This just in actually a, very large pastor was mistaken for a beached whale. <laughs> I don't know where this is coming from. Somewhere out of South Carolina, but we might just that's just that's just in. Well, uh, you know, I think Joey is like everybody's favorite person on the podcast, and I know we set it up. I, I, I want at least I want credit for that because we pick on him and we hold him accountable and we treat him like we treat him, but it just makes him look good in the end. And so that's okay. I, I, you know, whatever it is how it is, but Joey is everybody's favorite. So sorry. He's not here today. I don't know why he's everybody's favorite. I know. I do everything I can to be everybody's favorite. I mean, I I love all the time. I'm graceful. I'm kind. I mean, you know, I, I listen, although I don't talk over anybody. I do everything that you'd want in a, you know, not only just a friend, but maybe a spouse. Right. And, yeah. and still, dumbass, fat-ass pastor gets everything. <laughs> I'm the same way. I, I never interrupt him. I never criticize him. I just support him all the way. And for some reason, it, it just backfires. And everybody. Here's what's amazing, though. is <laughs> it, here, Here's what's funny about Joey. He's listening to these oh, words right now. 
I, I mean, I, w- I don't ever. I went on vacation. I didn't listen to a damn thing hardly. Well, I guess I listened to a little bit. I got to admit that. But Joey is meticulous with uh, wanting this podcast to be good. And so you we do miss might, him. You might actually want to be real careful. Last time we did an episode without him and he heard it, he actually got pretty mad. <laughs> yeah, he got super mad. <laughs> Which I probably made him mad by saying that. But he is listening. Joey, thank you. You're good. Not bad. We, You're good. We miss you. We miss you. We love uh, you. The, the crazy news that just came in, though, is just that, yeah. Uh, Chester, is it? What is his last name? Bennington. Chester Bennington. I always want to say Beddingfield. Just committed suicide. Yeah, I and, just saw that uh, as so, we were starting here. I know, like as we were starting. And what's crazy? What's really crazy is a, a friend on Facebook posted that he was great friends with uh, Chris Cornell, who committed suicide. Mm-hmm. What? Uh, it's been a month or two ago yeah, now. Not long. And uh, by hanging. And Chester even spoke at his funeral. And today is Chris Cornell's birthday. Ugh. And and oh, both man. of them, you know, kind of struggled with some mental health issues for sure. I don't have anything so it's to just, say on the topic other than I, I'm, it's not good. I'm, I hate to hear it. I don't. I just don't even have anything to say about it. Um, it there's something I want to say, but I don't want to be insensitive. So <laughs> I don't know how to. I don't know how to say it without being insensitive. But I want to just uh, go here for a second. A lot of our uh, famous artistic people are choosing to commit suicide because they are in pain. Mm-hmm. And there is uh, not, I, I don't want that to happen. I don't want that to be the case. But uh, even just with just these two artists, like it seems like they really had a battle for a long time. Uh, Robin Williams battled his whole life with just this darkness. And the reason they commit suicide is to finally get some peace. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and so. There is some to me, like I, I, to me, my entire life, uh, suicide has always been dishonorable. I've heard people call this the coward way out. It's all this bad stuff. But to live with that much pain, so much so that you would right. choose not to be here anymore, to me, there is there is something about that that is uh, forgivable and earnest and real. And I think that that's that's missed sometimes. It's, of course, it's horrific and sad, and I don't want anybody to commit suicide. I think it's, it's one of the most devastating things when you find out about that because the person's healthy, wealthy, wise, all kinds of, you know, contributing to this world. But there, I dislike it when, especially in Christianity when I was growing up and maybe even now, it's, it's always related to, oh, well, you know, the, the devil got them or they're bad people or they didn't know or it was drugs or, you know, it was that rock star lifestyle or whatever. When these people... Genuine, genuinely, you would not commit suicide if you weren't in pain or uh, right. in this really dark place. Well, there has to so be there, a logical there, component to the decision that they make that should be acknowledged. Like they also understand the effects it'll have on the people close to them. Like even in the, yes, they even yes. understand what it's going to do to other people, and still somehow, somehow, which is if you're empathetic there, you. I guess what you're saying, it's, it's not, it's kind of uncomfortable to think like this, to be honest, but no, I agree to be I, empathetic to their situation. They definitely, if, for instance, in this case, if he was friends with and just experienced the loss of his friend, Chris Cornell anyway, then he is very in touch with what right. the damage this causes and still must've been facing something where in his best state, it's either some state of mind that is so sick that they can't even process, in which case it's not, yeah. the, it's not doing some malicious, horrible thing well, or, it's relatively logical from their point of view. Either way, I mean, they seem to, I don't know. I don't, I don't even know how to sort that well, out. Well, what I was getting at, too, is, I mean, there isn't, you don't feel the same way about somebody if you're like, oh, my gosh, they have cancer, terminal cancer. They're in so much pain and anguish. 
that if they could choose to to end their life, that that wouldn't be like a you would not think of them the same way. Or how about euthanasia? Joey talks about yeah. his grandmother right. already being gone, and it could potentially be better in many ways. Mm-hmm. Most people if don't she was. think like this. Yeah, I know. I know they don't. <laughs> I, I know. I know. I, I don't need. Maybe I. Maybe I do. Maybe I got a sick mind. But what I'm saying is, I dislike the idea that you can diminish people and just go, "Oh, well, they committed suicide and it was a coward mm-hmm. act, or a they're point. a bad person and they only wanted to hurt their family." Like I don't think Chester or Chris Cornell or anybody that's committed suicide in general, wants to intentionally hurt their family and wreck them and do all that stuff. Now, those are the subsequent consequences. You think that's just sometimes. something that makes people feel better to be able to feel like, I would never do that or something? Right. Yeah, like, if, if my dad or mom would have committed suicide, I do think I would hold something against them. I have yeah, to be honest. Uh, for sure. I, I would be, I'd be hurt and angry and, like, what, wasn't I enough to stay here? But if you can step outside the situation, like in this instance, I'm not connected with these guys at all, I do have to admit, I think they must have been in a ton of pain. Like, mm. I, I don't, that pain, I'm not talking about, maybe it manifested as physical pain or emotional or spiritual, whatever it is, but to want to not be here mm. and you do something about it, it that, that's real. I mean, I know we, it, we talk a lot about mental health, but that's delu- real. But it, from hearing Joey talk about it when he's here, it, it, it sounds like the sad part is it's only in that moment that they actually, one way of thinking of it is they are only del- delusional in their lowest of state to even think that that makes sense. So it's not a val- it's not a logical or valid conclusion to yeah. have done that, but at the m- in the moment they thought it was. Maybe in the same way, let's say if somebody slaps your wife and punches you in the stomach, what you do right. next is not going to be, it's going to be what you're going to do next. In that state, what you do next right. is lash out, act. I mean, it's a different mental state that you're in, right? That you, you'd be right. the so... I don't know. I'm not, not well, even really it's sure. It's just, once again, I, I just think that everything has been so delayed. Uh, everything has been so hidden for so long. Like, um, you know, several of the episodes, like this, we're, we're going to be talking with Jonathan Merritt coming up about Eugene Peterson. Mm-hmm. And, like, for so long, even discussion about homosexuality, even discussion about mental disorders or mental mental health has been so held back because people didn't want to acknowledge it or they were scared to or whatever it might be that it, we are so far behind. Like, we're so much farther ahead on so many things. But these things are just like when Joey first told me that he suffered from depression, I didn't even process. I couldn't process what in the hell he was talking about. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I can remember being back in college and Joey going, Listen, I suffer from this, and I was like, "What are you talking about? What do you mean? You, there's times where you don't, you can't be happy, or whatever. What you, uh, yeah, that's just a bad day, or you know, like, like I mean, what I've always heard was, you know, you pull yourself up, or you, you, you or uh, I'd seen people like that, and adults have referred to them as lazy or no good, <laughs> yeah. or, or something. You know what I mean? Yeah. So my entire life, the, my my context with depression was nothing about mental health. And now, you know, we're starting to get there, but for so long we've been held back just because everybody's scared or yeah, what it yeah, might oh, be. Oh, for sure, for sure. It's, it's, well, Even it's, it's scary and it's threatening. It, it is those things for sure. So uh, I am excited to talk to Jonathan Merritt. That has worked out really yes. cool that we get to talk to him. Let me uh, tell you guys real quick first uh, about ZipRecruiter, and then I'm going to tell you one other, we'll talk about one other thing, and then we'll have Jonathan Merritt here, which I'm quite excited about. All right, listen up here. Are you hiring? Do you know where to post your job to find the best candidates? That can be a really, really big challenge to find great talent. Uh, And it's it's one of the most important things. A company, an organization, a culture is only as good as the people in it. And those people matter greatly. And so ZipRecruiter is the best way to find the best candidates 
uh, fat, quickly and to do a good job with it. With ZipRecruiter, you can post your job to 100-plus job sites with just one click. Then their powerful technology efficiently matches the right people to your job better than anyone else, trust me. That's why ZipRecruiter is different. Unlike other job sites, ZipRecruiter doesn't depend on candidates finding you, it finds them. In fact, over 80% of jobs posted on ZipRecruiter get a qualified candidate in, listen to this, just 24 hours. That's a big deal. So no juggling emails and calls to your office, no help wanted sign out front. You just simply screen, rate, and manage candidates all in one place with ZipRecruiter's easy-to-use dashboard. So find out today why ZipRecruiter has been used by businesses of all sizes to find the most qualified candidates with immediate results. And right now, our listeners can post jobs to ZipRecruiter for free. That's right, free. Just go to ZipRecruiter.com first. That's ZipRecruiter.com first. One more time. Go try it for free, ziprecruiter.com slash first. Now, before we bring old Jonathan Merritt on here, I'm going to tell you about, here, I'll tease it this way. Last night, Toby, you don't know this, but last night at 9.50 p.m., I was in a Home Depot parking lot looking at my <laughs> nine-month-old daughter sitting beside diesel fuel Wanting to know what in the hell was going on in her life, and then I also had how did that, how did it go so how wrong did that I ended up to, here at nine how, how did this happen? Meanwhile, my four year old daughter is wearing a Ray costume from the Star Wars movie. She has a Ray right. costume. Runner. I don't know who that is, but I'll go with it. It's the female lead in the uh, whatever the Star Wars movie was the one before. Yeah, the all the other one. Star Wars but, had men, and once they started yeah, adding women, I just didn't you just like bailed it. there. Yeah, yeah, I just well, couldn't do that. So like Doctor Who, George is wearing a Ray costume. Uh, you know doing circles and crawling under a Sprinter bus in the Home Depot parking lot at 945. <laughs> now, do you want to ask me how did we get in that situation? Uh, first of all, I want to commend you. That I mean, that, that has never happened once in my entire marriage with family or anything. So I think it's awesome. I would love to have maybe somehow at least witnessed that or been there with my own kids because just to add to the fun. But how in the hell did you – you said 9.50 p.m.? About 9.50 p.m., right. That's 11.50 p.m. my time. Right. So, yeah. What were you doing there with your two kids? Uh, I was uninstalling a diesel generator at, 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 to, to, <laughs> Is what I was doing. <laughs> I, at the, I was laying on my back, pulling fuel lines from a diesel generator tapped to a fuel tank on a Sprinter van, um, and un, unbolting it and unmounting the exhaust from that in order to move it over into. Now here's where the story gets good. Our new bus. That's the good news. Woo! Now we got it, a new generator. We got a new generator. It's great. We oh, got a new bus. It's really great. Um, but the 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 funny part about having my kids there was Bridget had a work event. Was supposed to be back at seven, and then it she couldn't get out. So she so now I'm at home oh, with the money for the generator and all this work that needs to be done. And I thought she was going to be home. Couldn't find a sitter. So right before I put the girls to bed, I was like, well. Girls, we're not going to bed. Get in the car. <laughs> and we drove down to Home Depot in Soto and I spent two hours, uh, you know, do, negotiating a generator deal. By the way, he threw in an air conditioner for free, so that's good news. Woo! Um, got the generator, had to un uninstall, unhook it. Meanwhile, Josh and Reva and our friend Caleb and Joe Head were doing insulation and framing. We're in wow. the middle of our bus renovation, which is great news, actually. Wow. So when you get here on Sunday, we're still going to be behind schedule, but... But we still have a lot of work to do in the bus. But we'll be in Portland on Tuesday in a bus that's almost renovated. So that's the wow. really good news. So here's the exciting part, the thing that I want to talk about 
right now is um well, it may be exciting but we have a special opportunity here uh first of all this bus is about 20 grand is about what we'll have in the bus renovation we had ten thousand yeah. dollars in savings for this just such occasion and we put the money from our last tour into it instead of getting paid from it and we're still a little bit short of getting to that 20 grand we need i estimate we're about five thousand dollars short so we're going to attempt to raise five thousand dollars um, by doing what we do best, which is, you know, music stuff. So we have a special yeah. idea that we're trying to throw together if we can get the website done right now. I'm going to update everybody. I'll show you pictures and videos of the bus and the renovations and all the things that are happening. But we, when we knew we were getting a new bus and we were going to Seattle to do our last show a few weeks ago, we decided to bring the recorder out and bring somebody out and capture it in Pro Tools. So we have taken... Uh, and a good Emory show in Seattle at the end of the last tour and had it mixed and done and produced and mastered. And so we now have a live album as well as a couple of original songs that we have written that uh, actually the songs are about the bus itself, our old bus, our first love, our old tour bus. And uh, we're going to release that but not publicly. It will only be for people that, because a ton of people have been asking us, can we help you raise money for the bus? Can we donate? Because they heard our bus went out from, from us and stuff like that. And I didn't want to do a GoFundMe. A lot of people were asking us to do a GoFundMe. I did not want to do that. Uh, I wanted to figure, I figured, well, we could give something of value and make it worth it and then see who if these people wanted to contribute something they could. So Emory all of a sudden has a new surprise release available today. The site will be up in a couple hours, but this is live. So if you're hearing this podcast, the site should be up. Where, where are we going, Reva? EmoryMusic.com? Okay, so emorymusic.com, we have a special opportunity, and we're just looking for a couple hundred people here, maybe, to raise 5,000 bucks or so, and here's how I want to do it. We have two original songs, and, I mean, they're light songs. They're, they're about the bus. They're not full production album songs, yep. but they're good, uh, and we have a live album that is real. It's actually a good mixed live album Uh and they're the only only these people, only these couple hundred people that'll help us raise this these few thousand dollars will get it. We'll never release it to anybody else. I'm not going to put it on Spotify. It won't be it won't be anywhere. And so yeah. at least that's us trying to offer to people something, you know, of value. So it's not just charity because of course we Unique make money. Value, of course yeah. this is our business. So I, 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 it's important to me to raise the money, not be given the money. Um, so I'm trying to raise the money with value. But I think this stuff is great. So I'll tell you real quick what the, there's only three options here. And none of them are, they're, they're more priced like when you get a, a mug from NPR because you support them. It's not actually what you're paying for it, that's market value. So these p- prices are inflated. But yeah. it's, I'm asking people to, to uh, support us, support our touring. It will help us to tour as opposed to us not tour if we didn't have a bus. Um, $25 and you can have this music, basically. And you, but it's exclusive. There'll only be a couple hundred people that have these recordings and they're good. So I think that's worth it, or I hope it's if it's if you, that sounds worth it to you. I know it's overpriced for an album. That's what we think it'll take to, to raise some of this money to buy the rest of the materials and get the air conditioner, other air conditioner we need, blah, blah, blah. Um, now, for $50, we're going to put some your name in the bus itself. So for $50, you get this music, and you'll have a plaque. It'll be your name printed on something that will maybe use for the wall or the ceiling. So if you ever see bricks at a, a college football stadium or in Pike Place Market, it'll say the people that donated the money to make yep. this bridge happen in your downtown. Our bus will have your name memorialized in it in print. Ooh. And if you ever come to the bus, if you ever come to a show, you can come look at it. Um, or I, I suppose, if you yeah, if you ever come to a show, come knock on the door. I'll be glad to bring you on the bus and show you your name in our tour bus that we'll see. And then the top level, if there's anybody that really feels generous and some people were asking could they give at this level so I came up with something for them too and that is for $200 we're going to have how many of those we got 10 spots 
10 spots of this, only 10, 10 people can actually have a titled zone of the bus. So Toby, I want you to help me think of uh, some names here. So for instance, the driver's area, we're going to put an actual wooden or special plaque there and it'll say the, uh, it will say the Sally Jacobson driver's area. Yeah. You'll, have, you'll be named oh, in title for this whole, like, and, and you'll be featured in this I bus love permanently. So I'll say the names that you, you make up people's names. So uh, okay. how about the bunks? How about the bunk area? Like, give us an example. Uh, of, of yeah, who, so who the bunk You're area, good at making yeah. up names. Yep. I'll put you on the spot, uh, I know, but. I would say the bunk area would be called uh, Hung Wow. Oh, come on. Don't get that way with it. What? That, <laughs> you're, what are you doing? <laughs> Hung Wow Bunk area. I thought you were just going to say Tom Slathers or something. Oh, well, okay. Tom Slathers. <laughs> Tom Slathers Sleeping Arena. Right. So it'll be when you go into the bunks area, you you have naming rights to that. So, all right. What about the co-pilot zone where the co-pilot sits there? And we're, I'm building a nice table that folds down so the co-pilot could even use their laptop, by the way. But give us an example of what that could be called. Cindy Needlelander. The Cindy Needlelander co-pilot zone on Emory's tour bus, memorialized permanently. All right. How about the kitchen? Carl Tompkins. Carl Tompkins kitchen. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Now, this one, and, and the first come, first serve on which zone you want, by the way. Um, so, here's this one might be real popular. Who gets to name the beer zone, the cooler? Who gets, Ooh. Like, that could be, say that one out. It's, it's enticing to, for people to hear an example. That could be called I, I, what? That, Sounds like a Jill Carlton to me. <laughs> the Jill Carlton beer zone. The cool. I love it. Now, that, that every time I get a Coors Light out of there, I'll say, thank you, Jill. Right. It's a big deal. And her name will be there. Yeah, I'll see it, and we'll be thankful. And I will oh. have it, you will feel the gratitude. You know, oh. when, that when you're at home opening your beer, and I'm opening my beer, we'll look up at yeah. the moon at the same time, and it'll be like solidarity there. Um, maybe we can even do like a, a, a Emory Cribs episode. We'll, we'll film it and show all the plaques and all that stuff. And, and the 50 or $200 people, anytime our tour bus in your town, come knock on the door. You are welcome to come in and say hey for a minute, and, and you'll Ooh, see your yeah. name on there. Um you get one minute. All right, I, there's a few more zones, but I'll give you one more. <laughs> How about the toilet? That's my favorite zone. I always claim oh. the toilet. I'm the one that maintains and cleans the toilet. I love that zone. I know it's a dirty job, but I like it. So I'm the one that maintains the toilet. I love it. But I would, wouldn't you love to have the toilet zone of our bus? I think that, yes. that, that might, some people might not want it, but I think that'd be a cool one. So what would be a name zone of the toilet? You got one for that? Robert, Robert Hardington. Robert Hardington <laughs> Toilet. <laughs> You're now entering the Robert Hardington toilet. That could be you, whatever your name is. Robert, I will be using that thing unreal. <laughs> Maybe the most of any human on earth. We need your, your dough to make this happen, Robert. Yeah. So if this doesn't sound up your alley, skip it. But we're going to have yeah. a real small community of, the, of, of really cool Emory supporters who we will thank um, by name, who we'll, we memorialize many of in the bus itself, and all of whom will get a Emory actual release of music that nobody else will get and like i said i right. think this will be a couple hundred people participate and it will help us pay for our bus which is our just it's just everything to us it's what keeps us touring and we've talked about that a whole bunch we're not going to go out in a van we're not going to be able to do all that stuff it's just not going to work so we're going to get this thing and we're going to do it right and we're going to go home but it's like i said twenty thousand dollar bus Matt, we're doing it diy too yeah, yeah. We're, oh, we're not we're, we're not buying a bus that's like 
seventy thousand dollars completely fixed. All this. No. We're, we're, I mean, we're we're doing it bare bones DIY, just like we've done everything in our career. Right. And that's why we ask for your, your folks' help if you want to. Yeah. If you right. want to. If this is no something you don't, there, you're so. like, ah, oh, I just like the podcast. I'll I'll just stay here in yep. my lane. That's totally fine too. Yeah. Uh, we're still friends and everything's cool. But if there's something that you would like to donate and help us out, we sure. And I don't even it. use the word donate, but I see what you're saying there. Oh it's, yeah, you're right. Not even contribute, donate. Contribute, but get something. Participate. You know, it's not a good. Hand money to Toby and Matt. Yeah. We just figured, so we're doing two things. Number one, first of all, we will have our hands on literally every screw and bolt that goes into the renovations ourselves. We're not, we're going to do it from scratch. And then two, we just figured to farm some of that out, we're probably more valuable making songs and getting them done than we are to, uh, Right. Didn't do anything else. So I thought that might turbocharge instead of spending 100 hours on the bus. I thought maybe we could afford to raise some of the money this way and do what we are better at. Although I love doing construction. I'm less skilled than playing guitar and making music and those types of things. So enough on that. But please go to emorymusic.com. This thing will be live. If it's not live right now, it will be will be very shortly. But I believe it will be up now for almost everybody hearing it. Emorymusic.com. Please help us out with our new bus. It will. I will consider it help, and I will say thank you. Uh, okay, let's uh, let's bring. Oh, also, if anybody doesn't know, Eugene Peterson uh, came out as gay affirming recently. The article and the story was broken by Jonathan Merritt. He's a journalist. He's very popular. He's done yeah. well. Um, knows what he's doing. He's a professional in this industry, and he then Eugene Peterson came back later and retracted it. We covered it a lot. Of yeah, people Eugene covered it. Peterson became gay affirming for one day. Yeah, he was. And gay then affirming the very for next day hours. he was. Right. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, Jonathan Merritt's the one that did this story and knows it up close and personal. And there was just so much interesting stuff to talk about. So he's going to join us in a minute, and we're going to get into what is that? How, how does this whole thing go down, and what is his opinion of it? So we're glad that we could get him today. Sorry, Joey's not here. Help us out with the bus campaign at EmoryMusic.com, and I'm yeah. going to let you. I'm going to let Joey do one thing on this episode. Episode, and that's tell you about Blue Apron while I ring up Jonathan Merritt. All right, who likes family time? Who likes partnering with local farms, fisheries, and ranchers across the United States? Who likes to eat fresh ingredients? I'll tell you who likes to do all these things. Blue Apron customers. So here's Blue Apron. Basically, they're the number one fresh ingredient and recipe delivery service in the country. Their mission, simple. Make incredible home cooking accessible to everyone. And they achieve this by supporting a more sustainable food system, setting the highest standards for ingredients, and building a community of home chefs. Let me give you a breakdown. You can either throw together a meal last minute, you can go grab some fast food, or you can order from Blue Apron, have the meals sent straight to your door with fresh ingredients, and it's affordable for less than. $10 per person per meal. Blue Apron delivers seasonal recipes along with pre-portioned ingredients to make delicious home-cooked meals. I mean, fresh basil, fettuccine pasta with sweet corn and cubanelle pepper, chili, butter steaks with parmesan, potatoes and spinach. These are featured upcoming meals. So it's affordable it's easy. There's step-by-step directions, 40 minutes or less, and it's guaranteed. Their freshness guarantee promises that every ingredient in your delivery arrives ready to cook or they'll make it right. So check out this week's menu and get your first three meals for free with free shipping by going to blueapron.com slash badchristian. That's B-L-U. 
B-A-D-C-H-R-I-S-T-I-A-N-D-E-A-P-R-O-N.com slash badchristian. You will love how good it feels and tastes to create incredible home-cooked meals with Blue Apron. So don't wait. That's blueapron.com forward slash badchristian. Blue Apron, a better way to cook. All right. Very good. Well, Jonathan, thank you for joining us on the show. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. <laughs> Have you? Has it been pretty wild for you lately? Has it been this doing this Eugene Peterson story? Is it been? Is that crazy, or is that just kind of normal stuff for a journalist? Uh, I don't know that I would say it's normal stuff for a journalist. Uh, it is somewhat normal for me. Now, this has been, I would say, this story created more conversation than most of what I write. But mm-hmm. in one sense, it's just like another day at the office because uh, I sort of traffic in. As a faith and culture writer, I really traffic in important conversations that I think people um, will be stirred by. And so I look for stories like this that will create conversation. So criticism, conversation, Mm -hmm. uh, those types of things are it it really is just normative for me at this point. And when and when Eugene said this, though, you thought, okay, this is something that is going to stir the pot. Like people are going to be really interested in him saying this. Right. Is that what stood out to you from the interview? It was it was interesting um, because I did the interview. Uh, I think it was on the sixth of July, and um, I, I had intended on asking a question here. I didn't think that it would be you know that he would give a super controversial answer. So I asked the question as he was answering the question. I and I had in my notes to leave room for a follow up. So. His answers are all, they're notoriously long. So I figured as he had time to answer his question, I could think of another follow-up. The problem was on the second question where I asked, if he were a pastor today, would he do a same-sex marriage? Mm -hmm. He just flatly said yes, which is really uncommon for him to give such a concise answer. But it also didn't leave me any room to think about a follow-up. And I didn't expect him to just say yes. So I, I guess I sort of panicked a little bit because in hindsight, the one mistake I made was I really wish I would have asked at least one follow-up and just say, hey, how does this square? You're a Bible scholar. How does this square with what you believe right. the Bible teaches? You know, that, that was, that was uh, I, I guess I, I sort of chalked that up to uh, being somebody who fell into journalism and not somebody who had a lot of experience in J school or something. Mm-hmm. But I wish I would have asked a follow up outside of that. I did everything exactly by the book. I, it was no bait and switch. There was no, mm-hmm. you know, uh, he said in his statement, I, you know, that he felt like I put him on the spot. What is an interview other than being put on the spot about a range of issues? That's what an interview is. I asked a question. Uh, that was totally inbounds and fair. I had an impetus for asking the question. Uh, I didn't, um, I didn't, if I hadn't have asked any difficult questions, I would have been criticized for a softball interview. Then you ask a difficult question and people are upset with you because they didn't like his answer. So I asked good questions. I audio recorded. I had it professionally transcribed. I put it in a Q and a format. I cannot imagine, uh, a more professional way to do this than the way I did it, except for, I wish I would have left room for more follow-up. And if I had done that, maybe in hindsight, I would have received less criticism or, or there would have been less confusion mm-hmm. than there was. And so I would say, going forward, I've learned an important lesson and I'll do it differently in the future. Okay, so there's so much in that answer you just gave that I would like to even address. So we'll get more to Eugene Peterson, but I actually have questions and think it's important. And most people, 
don't probably even understand w- exactly when you say J school and journalism and exact by the book and those kinds of things. We live in a time now where that stuff's kind of blurred. For instance, we're doing a show and an interview now, and it's just this, and we have no expertise. We don't know what we're doing. We don't know how to ask questions, nothing. I don't think this is journalism. I guess it's commentary or opinion. But I think people don't even understand that journalism is in a different category. So I kind of wanted you to see if you can help us understand what, like you said, you you didn't even go to journalism school. You just fell into it. But just let's just try to sort out exactly what journalism is real quick for background. Then I want to talk about how did you got landed this interview and up to it and, and we'll be back to where we yeah. were. Yeah. So I, actually a lot of journalists are not trained in journalism school and a lot of journalists, even today, people who are, who are interested in this issue or uh, in this field or who work in this field will say, you probably shouldn't go instead. Mm-hmm. Think about what you want to write about and become an expert in that topic. So my, my, I write about, uh, faith and culture. My background is, uh, mostly in religion that's where my graduate degrees are. They're, they're both in religion. My undergraduate degrees in science, but regardless, uh, I was trained in, in religion. So that's the, that's the field I write about because that's what I'm a, a quote-unquote expert in. Um, when it comes to journalism, the most important thing, and I wrote a piece a while back called Brothers and Sisters, We Are Not Professional Journalists. Yeah, and I saw that actually. The, I, yeah, the idea is, is that I get people all the time who accuse me of, they'll say, um, you have a bias or, well, this is activist journalism or you're, you, you know, you're not being fair and balanced. They use these like trigger phrases, mm-hmm. but they don't really know what they mean. Even when they say this is not good journalism or this is bad journalism, all you have to do is respond and say, how would you define journalism? Silence. Because they don't know what journalism is. They're taking phrases that they heard Sean Hannity use and they're reappropriating those, uh-huh. and they don't make any sense. So journalism is not, what they really mean typically with journalism is, they're using it as a synonym for reporting. Okay. And reporting is a kind of journalism, uh, a, a way to do journalism. I'm not a reporter. So a reporter's job in the Western way of thinking about journalism, so the American School of Journalism says, journalism should uh, attempt to be unbiased, <laughs> which I don't think is possible but to reduce bias in your writing, to represent all sides fairly, and to do it in a balanced way where you're presenting a story without interjecting your own thoughts. That's what a reporter does. That's not what I do. I'm paid to have a bias. So I write opinion columns. Is that editorial? Is that what you call it? Or opinion columnist? Or what? what yeah, is- editorials. Editorials are, are in opinion writing. Columnists are in opinion writing. I'll do typical like opinion writing or analysis, which is sort of in the middle, mm-hmm. which kind of presents the facts and then tries to help people understand what those facts mean or why they're important in context. Mm-hmm. That's what I do. So when other people will say, well, you're just... Um, you're just trying to push your point of view or you're just, that's what it, I, if I don't have a point of view, I'm not doing my job well, mm-hmm. right? That's what they, yeah. they, they have other people who write without a, supposedly write without a point of view. My job is to bring my point of view to the, to the facts to help contextualize that and argue what I believe those facts mean or what we should do about those facts. And so, so do that's you have, what I do. So do you have a, does that imply, and to be professional is different than not, and do you have, is there also a, 
source, I guess it's not sources if it's not reporting, but is yeah. it you have an editor, do you answer to people, or is it just, you know, and then how is that different than, for say, what we do, which is just talk online and whatever, bullshit, just whatever we do. Yeah, yeah, it's, it is different. Um, the difference with what I do versus uh, like a blogger, a right. blogger good, good has no, there's no editorial oversight. Okay. So tell us about that. That's yeah, that's not what I do. So I have I have editors. So when I write for the Atlantic, first of all, I, I have to come up with an idea. I send that to my editor. My editor pushes back and says, Here's why I like or don't like that. Here's why it works or doesn't work. Maybe we'll take it, maybe we won't, because I don't think it's fully thought out. He may provide a couple of questions. Who would you talk to? What do you need to know? And we'll go back and forth about that. Um, once that gets approved. I write the article and I submit the article to the editor and the editor is going to do several rounds of editing and fact checking and pushing right. back. Right. And then once it gets ready to publish, then they will select artwork. They select uh, a headline. I don't pick the you headline. Don't even pick they the headline. I, I typically like with the Atlantic, for example, nine times out of 10, they don't choose my headline. I maybe, maybe closer to 10, 10 out of 10. They just, they come up with their own headline. And then the, the article goes live after it's been fully vetted and edited in a number of rounds of edits. That's different than blogging where you just sort of like vomit on the internet and it goes live and then everybody gets to react to it. Mm -hmm. And blogging's fine. Like there's not nothing wrong with that form of writing. It's just not really what, what I do. Yeah. Um, RNS has a little less editorial oversight into what I do. I get to write whatever I want. And that's religious I don't have news to get service. Yeah, religion news service. So religion. that's different. But yeah, but I have people that I answer to. And if I say something that's wrong or incorrect, so with Eugene Peterson, for example, um, a person who was involved with one of Eugene's publishers came back immediately and said, basically, they were not sure that I actually spoke with him. And they re that my editor then required me to submit the, the transcript and the <laughs> time and date, and they had to review everything, right? Wait, so they had to go back on. To You're saying that they, after what it was, he said and then was printed, people that knew him or worked for, with him actually didn't even necessarily believe that he had said that and that you spoke with him? Like it was because it was and out they, of character yes. for him or they were surprised by it or, or what? They were. They implied that I hadn't spoken with him. I mean, what it came down to really was the publisher said, "Hey, we spoke with Eugene today, and he doesn't remember this. I don't know what that <laughs> this means." What? And so they required me to submit all my materials to make sure I did my job. Luckily, I did. I didn't just like hand transcribe it. You know, we did. I did this. I paid to have somebody transcribe this That's out of pocket incredible. because it was important. So I, I, I submitted the materials to my editor and then my editor reviewed those materials and communicated to the publisher, this publishing representative, <laughs> that that was the case. And then um, I heard from a different person at one of his publishers who then reached out and said, maybe he was senile. Maybe there was the, the phrase I think was moderate senility. No so then I had to go through a, uh, an interview process with my editor asking, answering questions like, were there times in this interview where he seemed incoherent? Were there times where he uh, paused and forgot what he was doing? Um, you know, of course, no, there was nothing in that interview that, that indicated at all that, that, you know, he was senile. I think that very much feels like ageism. 
to me. Yeah. Um, but, you know, to say basically, if you don't like what he says, then he just must be too old to think clearly. So um, I had to go through that interview. That was late the night that it posted. The next day, Peterson retracted his comments. Mm -hmm. And in those comments said, yes, he was asked this. Yes, he answered this way. But that um, after thought and prayer, he yeah. would like to sort of change his mind. Okay. And uh, that is his right. People have said, were you upset with him for doing that? No, I, I, I'm, I'm disappointed that the story became so complex, complicated. I'm, I'm, I'm sad that, that there were people who on both sides who felt hurt by it. Mm -hmm. But my job was to conduct this interview, to ask difficult questions and to share with others what I thought uh, about those, those answers in that interview. And that was it. Okay. And I did that. So, and, uh, sorry, Toby, if I'm just laser beaming here, I'm still That's trying fine. to get to the setup uh, of how this works is quite, it's the most interesting thing to me. Although this, I can't wait to talk about the senility argument in a minute, yeah. but, uh, so how does it get set up? How do you get in the situation where you get to interview him and how cooperative, like, I mean, from, from some outside point of view, it's almost seems like he called you because he wanted to get these comments about gay affirming out. And he said, I need a journalist to talk to or something like I, it could have gone that way for all I know. But, and, and was he surprised? Did he not know? It's not, he didn't get the questions ahead of time. How, how did it even hap, you know, happen yeah. in the first place? What's the point of him yeah. as an 84 year old doing this interview with you? What? I think um, there are a lot of people out there among my many, many critics who probably think that I'm, you know, sitting up under the cover of night with a, you know, a pentagram ring thinking about how I'm going to get, and you know, how I'm going to go out and hijack Eugene Peterson's legacy. And so I concocted this, this plan. Mm -hmm. That was not the case. Uh, my editorial assistant was contacted by his publicist um, more than a month ago who requested that I interview him. Yeah, that's really in important and interesting. Okay, because he has a book then. So the, the, the back he has a book coming is, out. He has a book yeah. coming you out. Know. I want to do some press about it. Want to do some press okay. about it. If you notice, his book came out far, like over, I think, a month before I did my interview. Mm -hmm. And I, was, I wasn't really interested in, in the, they give you, you know, a list of suggested questions and talking points. It wasn't all that interesting to me. But as I thought about it, I thought, okay, wait, really what he's doing is, is he's leaving public life. He's already left speaking and traveling. Now he's written his last book. This is yeah. it for him. He's not doing any other public anything going forward. So maybe I'll do a piece kind of on retirement, basically, for him. And uh, so I finally got back in touch with the publicist after they had requested. We had multiple email exchanges, and I said, I'd like to do the interview. We set up a time. It didn't work. We set up another time. It did work. I wrote it down a set of questions. And basically what I did was I wanted to ask the big picture legacy questions uh, Are you afraid of death? Are you tired? Why are you deciding to step away from public life now? Those are the questions I think I was obligated to ask. And then I, and those are kind of timeless, right? Mm -hmm. You want to know like, yeah, those good. like, like those big picture questions with a, a figure like this. Yeah. And then I wanted to ask a round of timely questions. So number one, what are the most important questions in culture right now? Cause I'm a faith and culture writer. Well, the most important things in culture right now have to do with Trump, the state of evangelicalism, the state of the church in light of Trump. Yep. And so I knew I needed to ask those. Those were kind of the top, the top tier questions. And when you think about the church, so the faith aspect, 
What are the most important issues that are being asked in uh, faith, the faith world right now? And undoubtedly, the most important issue in the church revolves around same-sex marriage. Okay. And so I, I thought that might be one of the top-level questions I could ask him. I had, I had a half hour, basically, to pepper this guy with questions. Was this I went in a little person? bit over. This was via phone. The phone, okay. This was over phone. I think he's in, like, Montana on a okay. farm somewhere, and I was here in New York. And I recorded it, audio recorded it. And so I thought maybe I would ask him about that. I had about five issues. And what I did was I did background research. So I went online to see if he was on the record about any of these things. Because what I try to do whenever I write is I try to write about things that are newsworthy. Mm -hmm. Well, people think that that's just some phrase that means newsworthy is whatever I think is newsworthy. That's not true. I mean, it's a fairly objective phrase. If something is newsworthy, it means it is interesting enough, important enough, and innovative enough for your audience. It's interesting enough, which means they care about it. So I want to ask things that my readers care about. It's important enough. It has to matter. You know, I don't want to ask him about something that happens, you know, some, some theologian down in Ghana, you know, makes a statement about something. Well, that might be interesting, but my readers don't care about that. So it needs to be interesting. It needs to be important. It needs to matter right now. And it needs to be innovative enough, which means it needs to be fresh. fresh. I don't want to ask questions that he's been asked a hundred times that he's already on the record on. So what I realized was, this was interesting and important because as I did the research, I found a lot of people who said, this is a guy who's been quietly progressive on these issues for many, many years. And I found out that it was actually innovative or fresh enough because when I Googled it, when I looked at it, this is not something he's on the record about. He did make some affirming statements in a video in 2014, which I did post online following the interview. He did endorse a book on marriage that affirms same-sex marriage, uh, which I, I didn't post about, but you can find online. And that was it. Nobody has asked him this question. So you had some and clue, I, though. You, but the, through your research that you did, you had some clue that there may be something here to get out. You didn't know how he'd answer. He could have dodged it or whatever. So you, maybe even. But I spoke to several. I spoke to several people who said, "I said, hey, as as Eugene talked about this, you know, Eugene, you're connected to him." And they said, "Actually, off the record." Uh, he's quietly been affirming on this. He's made statements to that uh, effect to me in the past. And I thought, okay, here's a chance wow. to, in what could be, and now will be, the last interview that Eugene Peterson ever gives. <laughs> it will be, because his, his agent actually is announced. He will never wow. give another interview. He's not so available cool. anymore. So in what will be the last, could have been at that time, the last interview he will ever give, I have a chance to ask one of the most important Christian leaders of my generation, in the American Christian leaders of my generation, about one of the most important issues of my generation. Mm -hmm. The fact that if I would not have asked him about that, it, maybe it wouldn't have been journalistic malpractice, but it, at the very least, I think I wouldn't have been doing my job effectively. Okay. So I asked the question, I asked a follow-up, I wished I would have asked a third, and I think it was totally inbounds to do that. Every Christian leader in this moment should be prepared to answer that question. Of course, yeah. I mean, that's yeah. what's so interesting about the moment. We've been talking about it and letting ourselves run into personal trouble by 
putting ourselves on the spot and dealing. I, I get a real kick out of that because I sense so strongly that these things do, like I said, like uh, like you said, they matter. Like they they have implications and things are changing in a fast way now. So I don't know if things are good or bad or what happens or if it's right. I mean, even outside of that, there's turbulent and exciting. Uh, to me, turbulence is exciting in culture generally, and so it's so. It's kind of, I don't know what to say other than fun that things are happening and it matters. So that that's really fertile ground there and really interesting that you did that. But that's what I was curious about. Did you have some sense that you might have a scoop here or he might would give an answer like that? Yeah, and the same was true. You know, you, you may remember people, people often joke about this. They'll be like, oh, Jonathan, he's out there trying to break all these same-sex marriage stories. You know, because I broke Trey Pearson, I broke David Gushy, I broke Jen Hatmaker, I broke the when Hillsong was grappling with this, and then the Broadway's boyfriends who were fired from Hillsong or, or demoted from being uh, choir directors. Many, many years I've been exploring these issues. Now, it's not primarily what I explore. Maybe, I don't know, 10% of what I write about. If you look at, I've published over 3,000 articles. So if you take those articles and look at it, you're less than 300, I would guess, have been about this topic. But when it comes to, for example, Jen Hatmaker, there were rumblings about this with Jen Hatmaker for years. And she had gotten into some trouble with some Facebook comments. How would I do an interview with her about politics? Which, by the way, same situation. A publicist came to me, asked me to do an interview with Jen Hatmaker. I agreed because, and, and they pitched about politics. Mm-hmm. And I asked her a question about the politics of same-sex marriage. I had a reason to do that. I thought it was important, interesting, and innovative enough. And I would have been remiss if I didn't ask that. The same is true with Eugene Peterson. So that's the other thing is it seems Christian journalism has always struck with Christian or journalism covering Christianity, whatever. I don't know if that's a subculture in the same way that music, Christian music, it turns out so goofy and has all these weird things. And my sense is whenever I see articles on Christianity Today and Christian Post and things like that, I'm like, this feels different. And there's some weird, different set of expectations where we're all supposed to be on the same team and you don't ask a real question or everything's old ultra careful, which just seems weird. I don't know if that's wholly, I don't know if the regular journalism world is that way or not, but it feels like there's something like that in Christian journalism or covering that topic. Is that true? I mean, what I, what I would say is, is like, for example, I write for religion news service, right? That's not religious news service. And there's an important distinction. I'm a religion writer, not a religious writer. In other words, a, a religious writer, like the Christian Post is a religious outlet. Mm-hmm. Christianity Today is a religious outlet, right? They have a set of beliefs that, uh, they, they, that they are um, representing in their uh, writing. Mm-hmm. So you're not going to read uh, a, a, an opinion article arguing for, uh, you know, abortion, in Christianity Today, you will never read that. Now, in religious, in in, in religion mm-hmm. writing, you'll get both sides. Right. We're gonna we're gonna present both of because we're writing about religion, and there are people in religion who are pro-choice. So we're gonna represent that. We're gonna we're gonna be in that space. So I'm not out here with um, trying to be uh, to evangelize people to be Christians or something or to be religious. 
I'm writing about religion and I'm writing about it from a particular perspective, which is kind of like center, center left evangelicalism. Mm -hmm. That's kind of the perspective I come from, but I may cover Mormonism or Catholicism, or I may weigh in on Judaism or Islam or ISIS. I may write about those things, but that is very different from being a religious writer or writing for a religious outlet. Mm -hmm. So when you approach things, you have to really ask, am I, am I reading religious writing or religion writing? Mm -hmm. And that, and your expectation should be different based on that. But do you find that to be the case that in, in Christian, like if you interview a pastor or somebody that's firmly in the evangelical world, that they have different expectations or, or more careful or expect the Christianity today, that, that type to cover them in some way where it's more like a fluff piece or not be, aggressive or not try to, unco- you know, th- th- like you're on the same team. Yeah. Is that a, a phenomenon? Somewhat, or am I that's, that can that? be, that can be somewhat true. I think particularly with the Christian post, I, I, I don't typically even retweet or share their stuff. We've, we've gotten into a lot of trouble with like, uh, poor journalistic practices there that, you know, have turned out not to be, uh, true or helpful. And then we've had to retract. So I don't really cite Christian posts a lot there there. If you're saying something about fluff pieces or, you know, uh, looser journalistic practices, I think they would actually fit that category. Yeah. Christianity today is an outstanding journalistic organization mm-hmm. and news magazine, if you will, but they are coming from a particular perspective. Right. And so they're, they're doing their job in a very professional way but they're doing it from a particular perspective and they do not deviate outside of those boundaries. That's not what we, we're not, not what the outlets I write for am doing. They're not, they're not doing those. They're not. So, but does that mean that, does that mean that then a lot of the people that you interview have been used to kind of that softball mentality? We're going to get these certain questions and then, and then they don't expect you to be like a, a, a real journalist almost, or right. you know what that's, I mean? Asking harder hitter questions. At, yeah. Is that like, well, so I think, like, I think part of it is because re, re, religion journalism in the nineties, everybody thought religion was going to go the way of the buggy whip. You know, it's going to die. It's, you know, how many pieces did you read about the death of evangelicalism? And yet here we are, it's 2017, it's still around and it's strong as ever been. Um, So you had newspapers, magazines, we're all kind of getting rid of all of their people who knew how to cover religion and they would reassign them to the metro section or whatever. And then if they wanted to cover religion, they'd get a politics writer to cover religion. So people are not used to, to folks like me who understand the ins and outs of evangelicalism, of Protestantism, of mainline Christianity, or the tensions between Roman Catholicism and and Protestantism, or Roman Catholicism and politics, or they don't understand Pope Francis and caliphates and ISIS. And so they're, they're not used to people who understand the ins and outs of that, who can really get to the crux of the matter and ask questions that kind of clear away the brush and get to the point. They're not used to those kind of hard-hitting, quote-unquote, questions because they're not used to people operating in the general market or the mainstream who are willing to go there, who have the skill set of a Christianity Today reporter or columnist, but are not having to operate within the confines of a particular confession or a particular theological perspective or boundaries. They're not used to that. And so when I do it, then they think, oh, they write you off. Well, not, not, I don't want to use they as an overgeneralization, but there are people who have a vested interest in a particular perspective popularized in Christian communities who then get upset with me 
because I'm giving voice to those things or I'm asking yeah. things that get to the point. Yes. And if Eugene Peterson had, um, if Eugene Peterson, for example, had given you basically a typical Southern Baptist or new Calvinist perspective on same-sex marriage, nobody would have accused him of being senile. Nobody would have accused right. me of being an activist journalist. Correct. Nobody would have accused me of asking an inappropriate mm -hmm. question. But because they're used to having people ask questions that confirm their viewpoints or writing pieces that confirm their viewpoints, rather than showing the full spectrum of Christian belief, now all of a sudden they attack journalists because it's much easier to attack a journalist who you may disagree with uh, his opinion columns from time to time than attacking somebody that you've consumed 36 uh, of his books over your 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 lifetime as a pastor. So I become the one with the bullseye on the target of my back. And by the way, I accept that. That is that is just a workplace hazard for me. I accept yes. it. It is as I said to come full circle. Another day at the office. I believe that's part of the role I play in my job. Jonathan, I, I'm so fascinated by this. Do you have more time? I don't know if we're over yeah, here, yeah, but I've got... I go as long as you want to okay. go. Because I'm quite interested. If this goes long, that's okay with me because I'm fascinated and I don't want to rush through it. Um, Can I ask something to... Yeah, uh, go ahead. Going, going back to that, like, it does seem like you probably do get... When, it, when, it, when stuff like this happens, you ask questions because you're trying to do your job and then it, like, it... Everybody says it's a hit piece, right? Like, like they put you, they put Jonathan Merritt in the story, whereas it was a, it was questions you asked Eugene. So, like, how how do you you know that's coming? Like, is that a part of journalism too? Because it seems like to me when I when I read the you know when I when I read this, I thought, oh, this is a guy asking another guy questions, and that's you know, and so I don't see it that way. But is that what the flack you you get pushed back from, like? That, that, like, and, and is it usually just from the Christian world? Like, hey, oh, you're just trying to bring down a Christian brother or something like that. Is that what happens? Every, every journalist, that, and I know a lot of journalists, every journalist said, you did this flawlessly by the book. Now, some of them said, I really wish you would have offered, uh, you would have had another follow-up, right? But that's how you can yeah. make it better. That's not how you did something wrong. Right. right. But they would all say, you did this by the book, and you nailed it, and you were you were you were thoughtful. You you gave people space to make up their minds, yeah. et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I love that uh, without fail. Um, yeah. So when that happened, that that was that was a feedback I got. I got a different amount of feedback from Christians. And again, there's these like there are these red flags for me when when Christian people start talking about journalism. Red flag. They do not know what they they're talking about. Right. Yeah. Ninety nine point nine percent of the yeah. time, they have no freaking idea what they're talking about. So anytime I get some pastor out there with his MDiv talking to me about why I'm a bad journalist, can yeah. you imagine if you had some if you had um, Glenn Thrush from the New York Times lecturing a pastor about how he didn't know uh, ecclesiology? People yeah. would laugh Glenn Rush yeah. out of the room, but somehow. And this is probably connected to the celebrity mentality mm -hmm. of pastors in evangelicalism. Pastors are experts at everything. They can weigh in on policy. They don't have any idea about how public policy works, but they can tell you about, about yeah, legislation. That's right. And nobody challenges pastors, on that. That's right. They can talk about economics. Yes. They can talk about um, uh, carbon taxes. Nobody says anything. They can talk about journalism. Nobody says anything. doesn't matter if they have any training in that, if they have any experience in that, if they've been doing the job like me for 10 years. We just assume that pastors are experts in everything. 
And that's a real problem it's worse because than pastors that. don't know how to stay in their lanes. No, it's worse than that because not only do they speak on it, they speak on it with authority and they, they uh, what's the word for it? They, uh, they also speak with the authority as if, so what's the daggum word for it? I'll get come to me in a second. But they speak Eugene as Eugene Peterson a, a, moment. <laughs> yeah, no, it's a, see, I'm seeing now. The uh, they're speaking as if with the authority of the Bible, and they go in and out of. I'm speaking from the Word of God, and here's here's what I'm telling you about global warming. At the same time, in the That's same right. right back and forth with with total impunity. The imputed is the word I was looking for. They they they've, right. they they've got imputed authority of the Bible whenever they go out and speak, or at least they take advantage of that implicitly, even though it's not. They wouldn't exp- say that that's what they're doing, but they get away with that, yeah. of course. And then yes, the problem that. with the journalism and the stories and everything else is they expect that they would be taken care of by, like, as if we're attacking our own if we talk to them. We get the book things all the time. Yeah. They say, you, please have this author on your podcast. He has this new book on this. It will make him look good. Ask him these questions. And it's like, not we're not quite very interested in that because it's just boring. So we don't do it right. that often. And well, if let we me, do... Let me, say, let me say though something, Matt, because... Two things. One, because you're getting at something really, really, really important here, and I don't want your listeners to miss it. Well, first I want to say, when people say hit piece, mute, mute that person, if, yeah. unless they know what they're talking about. Because for them, uh, what, is, what, is, what would make this not a hit piece? Right? <laughs> uh, a hit piece just means somebody said something I didn't like, you know? Right, uh, right. Because what do you want me to do? Send him the questions in advance? A journalist would never do that. So it's like you sprung this on him. Oh, you mean I asked him something he didn't know was coming? That is my job, number one. But I would say there's a great, and I bring this up a lot. Uh, Augustine wrote something in in the literal meaning of Genesis, which is important. Uh, And I I always keep this quote near to me, and I've got it right here. It says, if a non-Christian finds a Christian mistaken in a field, which they themselves know well, and hear him maintain his foolish opinions about the scriptures. How then are they going to believe those scriptures in matters concerning the resurrection of the dead, the hope of eternal life, and the kingdom of heaven? In other words, if Christians go around talking out of their heads about journalism or politics or climate change or the fossil record or transgender issues or, 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 then people in those fields who actually have experience and knowledge about those fields will then dismiss Christians about the same, the, the, the things that we're the claiming do know. about our own faith. That's right. Like, and so that's yeah. why it's actually really, really important that Christians don't go around using things like bias and hit piece. And they use terms that they don't even know what they mean. They don't know how to define these terms just because they heard Sean Hannity or Bill O'Reilly or Glenn Beck or whomever use these That's terms, right. it's really important that they don't go around talking out of their heads about these things because it, because they then become unbelievable about every the thing. The thing that they should know about, resurrection, exactly. exactly right. so, and we have so many pastors that listen to this podcast. That's one of our primary demographics is actually pastors, believe it or not. Y- y'all should pay attention to that. If you're out there barking about something you don't know much about, then how are people going to listen to you on the stuff that we care about, that you know, that you do know about, that you are supposed right. to be doing? Resurrection, getting people saved, praying for people, helping them understand the character of God. If you know about those things, don't speak out of turn, or at least make make sure you separate clearly, and don't try to weave in and out of those to to gain influence. It's it's, it's not a good idea for for the sake of the important things. 
Yeah, Jonathan, I was going to ask you this too, and you might not even want to answer this question, but something you just said that really the most uh, clear thing of what you just said was you said, like, uh, you just sprung something on him. You sprung a question on him, and every single time I've been in church, the biggest thing that people push on you is that any moment you better be prepared to share the gospel because somebody's going to come up and ask you what the gospel is, and the gospel is truth, is what we say it is. And that is that what Eugene told you? you? Did you just... Ask a question and Eugene tell you the truth, and then now he's lying, or is it now he say, "Uh oh, my life's in and career's in danger," and so I got to do. I mean, was he telling the truth at that moment, or did, was he just ill prepared to to share the truth? Like, like how how much Christians push us that? I mean, yeah, because my I will, my, I, will go ahead. I will speculate. I will speculate, and I'm going to preface this by saying I'm speculating, but I'll tell you what I think, what I believe. I believe two things that I can't totally reconcile. One, I believe Eugene Peterson is far more progressive on this issue than his retraction led many people to believe. I know that because of the statements that have been told to other people off the record. I know that because I watched a 2014 video Uh, in which he said he thinks that being gay can be a good thing and a flourishing thing. And he's helped many, many families accept their children as gay uh, because he said that there was a brilliant, quote, brilliant article, uh, a magnificent article that he had read in the Christian century, which was an article that meant that was subtitled Appalling Case for Same-Sex Marriage. I believe that because of the clarity with which he answered my questions, including saying you would do a same-sex wedding. I do not know a pastor who, who is down the line traditional or conservative or historical or whatever you want to call it on same-sex marriage, who would ever, even in the moment, say yes to that? So I believe right, he's more right. progressive than his statement led people to believe. At the same time, at the same time, I believe that Eugene Peterson has integrity, that he is faithful. I think that, that his, you know, my dad growing up would say, never mistake the moment for the man. Yeah. I don't judge him and his character based on this one interview. I judge him based on a long and obedient career that shows he is a person of integrity, a person who, is, who tells the truth, a person who is not just motivated by money and by book sales. And so somewhere in that is where Eugene Peterson really is on this issue. I do think it's interesting. But you throw that, out the senile part. That, that you don't have any, any use I for know, that. Could Eugene Peterson be senile? Maybe. I, I have, I'm not a doctor, uh, but I will say there is nothing that I have heard or seen, either in my conversation with him or otherwise, that has led me to believe that that is likely to be true. Mm-hmm. Nothing. It's shocking I think to that me. He, part- I think he's a brilliant, coherent, 84-year-old man. I think it's yeah. shocking, like you said, like it's easy to be taken out of context. It's easy to misspeak when you're giving some convoluted answer off the, you know, let me speak for a paragraph here and then review things that I've said in this podcast. And I probably didn't know what I was saying in the moment, but there's nothing, nothing about would you do a same sex wedding that is, and then a one word answer that could possibly right. be like, no, I meant no. I said yeah. yes, but I meant right. no. That wasn't like, an ambiguous question. Or, or, I mean, like, that's not something that you wouldn't go, oh, it's no big deal what I say here. I mean, first of all, the weight of that question would, no matter what, be understood immediately. And then secondly, right. if you were anywhere weird or gray or not intentional about it, you would give probably a long, rambly answer. 
you wouldn't say and, and, yes. And as, and as the, the video from 2014 from Western Seminary shows, this isn't the first time. And I wouldn't have believed it. I wouldn't have believed this is true, even if he, even if <laughs> the 2014 video didn't exist. It's not as if Eugene Peterson has never thought about this issue. In of fact, yeah. one of the things that he says is, 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 and he's on the record saying this, he reads all the literature on this. He reads everything by, by evangelicals and mainliners on this, this issue. He's been reading the research on homosexuality. So in other words, this is a guy who's given a lot of thought to this. Now, when Eugene Peterson says he said yes, but, but after thought and prayer, he now would say no. I take Eugene Peterson at his word because this is somebody who's earned the right to be mm -hmm. believed, and I believe him. And uh, I cannot explain to you how I reconcile the two things I believe, what happened in that moment, why the change of heart, why all of these things. I cannot reconcile those things, but I believe he is an upstanding in, a person of integrity, and I have unwavering admiration for him. And yet at the same time, I also take him at his word and words. Uh, that he's given to me, to other people, on the record, off the record, that he probably has a more progressive view on this than most right-leaning evangelicals. Mm -hmm. Well, something I've learned from podcasting, and you can test this at home. You can test it all you want, anybody that believes that's ambiguous. People do not give clear, concise answers on difficult questions unless they're very, very certain. So try this. Go find an issue that you might find controversial and ask anybody off the record and not in front of an audience just go to somebody and in your like go to your dad or mom or your friend and ask them pointedly about a controversial issue what they think and see if, and see if you can get them to give a one word answer you won't be able to they will matter right. factly give you right. a very long careful answer which is i think bizarre that he would give us a one word answer in the first place but right. certainly well it's just and not let's say let's say i wrote an article today called five statements five statements Eugene Peterson made about same-sex issues that he has not retracted. Uh, one, I don't think it's that big of a deal. Never retracted that. Two, I don't think it's a right or wrong issue. Never retracted that. Three, he's helped many people accept their children as gay. Four, he doesn't believe that uh, it's a bad thing. He believes homosexuality can be a good thing and a, quote, flourishing thing. Five, he has done uh, a lot of research on this issue, and he believes one of the most brilliant pieces he's read on this is, a, is an affirming piece on a Pauline case for same-sex marriage. And you could throw in six, a book endorsement for a, for a, a book on marriage that affirms same-sex marriage. Those six things Peterson has not retracted. Now, go ask your traditionalist friends who have said, wipe their hands of this and said, okay, yeah. you're all good. Ask them, are you comfortable with that? Would you say that? And if not, what are the implications for that? Can we have a conversation right. about what we do know? And I do think those are important questions. I think those are important questions. And where I am disappointed with this interview is because the retraction has so muddied it, we're not having the important conversations that we should be having yeah. that oh, this I interview agree. prompted. And, I, and I'm sad about that, that this has become a conversation about Eugene Peterson's character, which is impeccable and should not be challenged. And instead, we should be talking about really, really important issues, issues about parents, issues about children, issues about teen suicide, issues about ecclesiology. These are, these are really important conversations. 
And I want us to have these conversations, and I'm sad that we're missing an opportunity to have them. Well, Toby had some. I mean, I, you know, I'm not as confident as you that his integrity is totally intact here, because that's clearly contradictory to me. I, I mean, I, I'm not, I'm not out to get the guy. I like him. I was very excited about what he said for the exact reason you said. But to me, I think there's some integrity issue that's worth talking about. I don't have the long history of admiring him exactly. It just sounds like a cool guy to me overall and Toby for instance I mean had been saying on the show recently that it seems like this is just a thing about legacy or children's money or something like that I don't know I mean what do you think there Toby in light well, of I, I just I, I do think if nobody would have said anything there would have been no re retracted statement right like the, the only reason I, he obviously retracted his statement was because like Lifeway says we're going to take your books or people are viewing him in a totally different light now I really like what you said about him. I, I obviously do think the guy has integrity. I think that this was overwhelming to him, and maybe it's overwhelming, even more overwhelming being 84 years old and like, wait a minute, I just wanted to do an interview, and now I'm making this huge statement, and it will – like if he were to stand by this, this would have been one of the most remembered things of his of his entire career probably, like this, this actual thing. But – uh, I th and, by the way, and by the way, probably still will still be. Still will, yeah. Yeah, you're right, exactly right. But here's what's interesting. All those points that you were making, like the five or six points that you made of things that he said in the past, it, we should be just as like curious if he would have said, no, I wouldn't do a same-sex. If he would have said that, that still raises the questions. There's still questions there of, yeah, but I mean, you said, you've said right. this and you've done this and you've been a wreck. Like, e even if he would have just like totally. either one word answer there, is it is like wait a minute what are you actually saying here because it it feels like to me the, the frustrating part about it is it sounds like he said something and then he's like uh oh this blew up i'll just i'll just back off of it but mm -hmm. even his no now after much prayer and consideration which is where, where you know people always go to like he just says yeah i would i wouldn't have i wouldn't say that or whatever but, but he still hasn't totally to me clarified his real stance like now, it's just like no, he said. Sure. I wouldn't say that. I, I wouldn't say that I would marry a same-sex couple. Uh, <laughs> but do you think that's okay? Or more, like there is more, but now he'll probably just kind of yeah, head off into the out. sunset, and it won't matter. But I do. I definitely love the idea now. Of anytime I get caught in something, I'm gonna say. Uh, uh, sorry, I pulled a Eugene. I got Eugene. <laughs> you did, like like Mun like Munson. And he did say. He did say. For example, I do. I affirm male female marriage. I have a lot of friends who are pro same sex marriage. And if I said, Do you affirm male female marriage? They'd say yes. Technically, yeah. What he didn't say is that I think male male marriage is yeah. sinful or. Right. Evil, right. So they're, they're, a, a person who is progressive on this issue might actually be able to affirm the same statement. I will say this I agree when it comes to Lifeway that you have to take that into consideration. But. As, as, a, as a journalist, what I try to do is contextualize to back up and see the whole picture. What I see in his career is somebody who is not all that interested in book sales, is not all that interested in money, mm -hmm. is not all that interested in marketability. marketability. Yeah, that's good to hear. I, there's nothing in his life, and he has a very long record, there's nothing in his record that leads me to believe that he was overwhelmingly influenced by making more money, selling more books at this point. Now, that may yeah. be true. That doesn't mean that he wasn't influenced by that. Uh, there's just nothing that leads me to believe that that's the case. Uh, Jonathan, let me float to you a speculation or frame it in a certain way and see if this splits the difference or fits in a way that might would reconcile the two things that you hold in tension there, is integrity plus uh, what you think he actually probably believed or believes. 
this is the most generous way I could look at it, but I think there's still problems if this is true. That would be that he has been feeling like many people who may want to be progressive, that it's scary, it's dangerous, it could affect other people, it could cause harm, but you, he, I'm going to say wanted to do this. He thought, you know what, I'm going to be brave. He talked himself up. He, he said, he said, I want to be courageous here. I don't want to be a pushover. I would like to be bold. This is a good opportunity for me as I'm getting older. Maybe I could, you know what, I think I can do this. I've been feeling this way for a while, but I think I'll go against the grain. I think I will assertively do this. I think I'll be remembered well for it. I think I'll be an early adopter of this point of view that's clearly coming, which is what I would predict is the case anyway. I believe there's a lot of other, uh, pardon the pun, closeted uh, pastors who probably feel this way that are just simply think the risks are too high. And at the end of his career, he thought, you know what? I think this is, I can pull this off. I do, I do believe it. I want to be of integrity. I want to make, make progress forward here. And I'm going to say this now. And then he realized pretty quickly that it was just slight miscalculation. It's just a little bit too early. Maybe two years too early. Maybe three years too early. I, I, I will say two, uh, two things. Uh, one, I, 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 and it's hard to go this deep into an, uh, an inter- interview subject psyche, but I will say there's nothing there that indicates to me that he made a conscious decision to be bold. What, what I will say we have indication uh, for is he did make statements that he didn't think this was a big deal, that he thought that the debate as, as it's been had is largely over, that he thinks that if people aren't interested with this, uh, you know, and they'll just move on, no big deal. It's not a big issue anymore. He thinks we're in a transition and we're kind of moving out of this like phase where we're fighting about this. My guess is, is he really believed that, internalized that and gave an answer in the moment and didn't think because of his, he's unplugged from social media. He's unplugged from the internet for the most part. He's not in, in all of the debates that are happening online in the most, um, contentious spaces. So he probably thought he just answered, not thinking it was that big of a deal. That's my guess. Uh, I will say this though, because you talk about pastors and this is something that needs to be said, because I think the way this played out actually has an impact in this way. And this is something not a lot of people are saying. There are an unbelievable number of pastors, authors, leaders, who are affirming and they're more progressive who are not they will not state that they are right and your listeners would be shocked yes and i know because That's what I've i keep had trying to tell people i know too they're new york times bestsellers they're podcast hosts you listen to they're churches that you go to yes they're pastors that you admire they are more progressive they have changed their minds on these issues But people like Eugene Peterson, who are treated the way that he was treated, Mm -hmm. have discouraged them from saying what they actually believe. Yes. And so what happens is is it it delays us from dealing with the reality of the situation in our own communities and the reality of perspectives and opinions in our own communities. And that's something that if you say, what is the net effect of this? It's not really – the net effect of this is not really about Eugene Peterson – it's really about the state of the American church and its leaders yes. and, and what impact this will have on us having an honest dialogue about where people are, what they think, why they think that, what the implications are for their communities, and how we move forward as yeah. a movement. I'm very sure that there are tons and tons of very, very large traditional man and woman affirming 
giant mega churches that the leadership has had many closed door meetings where they said, can we move on this? Are we ready yet? And then the Christian wisdom, which is really just fear and scaredness and worry about money and legacy and these things creep in. And then they, they come up with the wise thing to do would be wait longer. But these people are having these conversations behind closed doors. Pastors that you think affirm that don't are not affirming probably behind closed doors are and are trying to navigate how to make these transitions. That's what I believe to be true. It's what that I know correct. to be true in some cases. And I'm, I'm glad well, to hear I, you. I know this. I know this because I know uh, pastors who have flown people like Matthew Vines or Justin Lee or people who navigate these issues. They've flown those people in for private meetings with their staffs. They're trying to navigate these through phone conversations and off the record conversations. People have, who I know have told me, Hey, I wish I could say X, Y, and Z, but I'd lose my job. Yep. And there are people who, who hold those views that don't feel the freedom to say those well, views. It's now, so disrespectful I'm, not, I'm not saying that they should. I'm not saying, I'm not saying I want their, I have a vested interest in this and I want, but what I really would like to see is honesty. I want to see an honest <laughs> conversation, which means let's all put our cards on the table and let's have a conversation about this. Yeah. Uh, and and that's, I think, is important. We're not having an honest conversation about it right now. We're just not. That's our biggest message is you got to be, you got to command, you have to demand that your leaders respect you and your mind enough for let you to be able to handle what it is. It drives me crazy that they hide behind or are afraid of. They go, well, we think this, but it might not be healthy for our congregation to go. It could send them, a, they're weak, they're they're simple, they're slow. We have to be careful. We have to babysit all, my whole congregation of 10,000 people because they can't handle this. They can't handle what I really think. I actually understand it on a deeper level and I'm trying to move forward. These dummies that give us money can't handle it. That's what. That's not right. And people have to wait. I, I don't know if they're right, or I'm not saying who thinks that or doesn't. Whatever. But that mentality is bad. That mentality is harmful to our church and our culture. And it has to start with the church members, the people, the body of Christ, demanding that they are respected enough to be able to handle conversations, and they need to do so maturely, I suppose, to to go along with it. But I think people would be shocked at what their leadership keeps from them. It drives me crazy from seeing it. Well, isn't that exactly what the the tool of journalism is then? Like, it actually does reveal things. That's why, like, one thing that bothers me the most is if nobody, I bet you so many people that are criticizing you didn't even really read the whole article. They they fast forward right right to the, you know, the, the parts that made them mad about homosexuality or whatever. But it's interesting. Nobody said, oh, he was senile when he was talking about the end of his career and not doing it anymore. He was senile when he was talking about writing letters back and forth. He's senile when he's talking about his son being a pastor. He's seen about, about the end of his life. Oh, nope, nope, wait, nope, here it is. This is where he's senile. Like the, the problem is people get this huge defense mechanism, whereas if you read the entire piece, it's really it's it's a great piece. It's talking about the end of a career of a guy with integrity, like you were saying, Jonathan. It's a great piece about where he's at in his life. What is this is the final phase of his life and the story of a, a a storied career. And what is it? Is he worried about death? Is he excited about it? You know, finally, all these beautiful things in the story. And then there's this one thing that sets off all these alarms and goes, we can't even go there. This is this is a terrible piece. It's not right, Eugene. Please, please, you you. you couldn't admit that. There has to be something wrong. Yeah, you got every other question totally fine, but you had to be wrong on that, right? As if he could. And so an eight, there's an 84 year old man out there 
that couldn't tell you the whole story. Yeah. It, it might be somewhere in the middle. It might not be as hard as I, I'm, I'm pushing where it's money and, and career and all that stuff. It, and I do believe he probably has some integrity, but we can't even get the whole story because everybody's scared to death of what does that mean? It's an indictment on my faith. What Eugene Peterson says? No, that's not true. Right. And, and, and honestly, you, you'll notice I, the interview was done on the 6th. It was sent to the transcription service on the 6th. I got it back on the 6th. I could have published the piece on the 7th. Uh, but I really sat on it because I wasn't sure if I should publish that part. And I was getting, I was talking to friends and people I respect. And I kind of had three options. One, I could publish it. Two, I could bury it and it would never see the light of day and just say, hey, I don't want to create any controversy. Let the guy ride off in the sunset. Or three, I could, and this was a suggestion some people gave, was to wait until after he passed away and then you publish that piece because let the guy finish it out. Don't burden the guy. I thought that was a bad choice because if you're going to do something, give a guy a chance to respond, to, to weigh in. Uh, I didn't think not publishing it was the option either because what I asked myself was if he had said, if he had, if he had given the traditional answer, would I have published it? Yes. I wouldn't have even flinched because I know it wouldn't have been that controversial. Right. So would I have published it if he had given a different answer? Yes. Well, at that point then, am I really doing my job by saying I'm only going to publish this answer, this, this question, if he gives this answer? No, I wouldn't be doing my job. I'm not then a servant to the truth. That's right. So I I, I said, I have to go with option one, which is you publish the interview, you let the chips fall where they may, you take the heat, you take the beating, you take the criticism, and this is just the nature of the job. Mm -hmm. That's the decision that I made. And if I had to do it over again, I would still have published it. The only difference is I would have probably asked a follow-up or two. Yep, I could see yeah. that. I mean, it, it's, it's been a weird thing. And then we got to go here in a second, Jonathan. I really appreciate the time and extra time. Yeah. The final thing to, to ponder here that we could spend another amount of time on, but I'll give everybody a word on it, is it, the heartbreaking thing is, I guess the positive thing is now we get to talk about this part that we talked about. So now what does this mean in the Christian context of journalism and truth and culture and respect for people's minds and all that? That's what we get to really focus in on and make this about. Uh, It doesn't turn out to be necessarily a huge milestone for progress exactly but the heartbreaking part is that it seemed like it was for a moment and there are so many people i was i was pretty sad um it says so much as that word fits at the hope from his first statement and all the positivity that was coming from the lgbt community about oh this is and the things are changing here he's done something maybe this is a milestone and then to have that ripped away almost feels to many like more harm was caused. And that's the unfortunate thing. Even if he has done this with full integrity, there's so many people that like, wow, we can actually be safer in the church now. We can talk more openly and then to have it crushed by some, what they see as corporate fear-mongering hate mentality crushed and taken away from them. And that's really disappointing for sure for the LGBT community and and, and its supporters. Yeah, because because it is one thing, and this is one of the reasons why I think the church's conversation, and of course I'm generalizing when I say the churches, but the church's conversation about LGBT issues historically has been so damaging is because we have depersonalized, right. uh, or, or you might say disincarnated the issue. So we've talked about the quote unquote gay agenda, this sort of faceless agenda. 
And the shift that we're seeing now, and I think it's a healthy shift in terms of dialogue, no matter where it takes us, is we have repersonalized it or we have incarnated it. We have embodied our conversation. So now we're talking about friends and family members and we're talking about people that we love. We're putting a face on the issue. And I think that when we talk about this, it's really not about the issue. It's really not about same-sex marriage or homosexuality. There are people, many people who love Jesus, but who identify as LGBT, who many of them have strained relationships or no relationships with their family, many people who have languished under the weight of being called abominations their whole lives. Some are committed to celibacy, some are not, and they are really trying to understand how do I live in a way that I believe is consistent with who I think I am and a way that I believe would please God or would be faithful. And those people have gotten twisted up in this Mm -hmm. debate and they've gotten ground up and they have been hurt. And for them, they come to this bruised, beaten, with ripped and torn clothes and dirt on their faces. And they have all these, these, these wounds that have been inflicted on them by pastors and theologians and the church. And this to them is one more black eye. It's one more cut. It's one more bruise. And those are the people that I think I weep for, I'm upset for them. I'm sad for them. Uh, and if you ask me, what, what, am I sad that this, because I mentioned this at the beginning, am I sad that this went down the way that it did? I am, but primarily because I'm sad for the people who all too often are, are ground up in these Is conversations it, and they're it. not considered. Yeah. Yeah. Toby, anything else? We got to we got to run. Sorry. Only last thing and one little comment. I just I was just sitting here thinking about what you were talking about and the people that you were talking about and the people who have been marginalized on stuff. Imagine we were doing the if podcasting existed like 30, 40 years ago, and you would ask Eugene Peterson, "Would you marry previously divorced people?" And people would have probably gotten just as mad or something. You know what I mean? Like that was a big issue when I was a kid. Of oh, if you're divorced, if it not you know if it isn't for these two reasons that's it but i don't think anybody would have flinched if you'd have asked him that question today hey if two divorced people wanted to get married and you know they just had irreconcilable differences from the previous marriage would you marry him he'd go yeah i probably would nobody would have flinched and and it just goes to show you that things are changing and our defenses that we put up aren't anything real and and if we can't ask real questions and get to real truth, then it's all worthless anyway. And so that's, that's what bothers me. I, 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 ha- I had a, an off-the-record meeting with a, 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 a pastor of a gigantic church, and he made a statement um, that I thought was, was interesting. I, when I say off-the-record meeting, I don't want to say it's off-the-record. We had a meeting, and he didn't say it was off-the-record, but we, it was not, I was not doing a story on this. It was just a meeting with a, a acquaintance. But he said something in that meeting that I thought was really interesting. Um, he said, you know, there are times where I, I've wanted to say in a sermon, you know, if you're straight this morning, blah, 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 blah. If you're gay this morning, blah, 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 blah. And he said, I, I, if I said that, if I said, if you're gay here this morning, I cannot apply this message to a gay person without immediately condemning it. And say, oh, you know, I don't, you just say, by the way, I'm going to say this, but yeah, but, but we condemn at this. And he said, it's similar to the way 30 years ago, if I in my church said, if you're divorced here this morning, then I have to go on and say what I think about divorce. And I don't have to do that anymore. 
And he said, uh, there will come a time, and I think he's probably right, where you could say, hey, if you're married this morning, if you're single, if you're divorced, if you're straight, if you're gay, and you can contextualize in that way, and you can include that category without always having to have the asterisk where you condemn it, just in the same way that even a church today that doesn't believe that that divorce under certain uh, circumstances is, quote, biblical or, quote, best or, quote, in God's design or will— can say today, if you're divorced here this morning, and they don't have to immediately condemn those divorcees. And I think that's an interesting point, because if you look at where divorce has gone, I think for many conservative churches, that is where they will move on these issues, that they will still ideologically hold their position on what they believe is God's best or God's design, but they will make space for people. If you come today to a church and you say, "Uh, I'm getting a divorce, they put you in divorce recovery. And that class is pastoral. It's intended to help you emotionally, personally, to build a community for you. Nobody says, wait a minute, what are you you doing about this? uh, Did the person cheat on you? Or here are the caveats, or we don't believe. Nobody says we will only minister to you if they're able to say, come one, come all, right? right? There's space for you at the table. And I believe there are many conservative churches that will still theologically hold their view, but will make a shift pastorally to that middle road, just like they have on divorce. divorce. I think that's the future for many of the people who were upset about what Eugene said mm-hmm. uh, initially in the interview. We, we agree with that fully. We agree with yeah. about a lot of stuff, Jonathan. It's really great to get to talk to you today, and we yeah, will for sure. certainly do it again. I mean, you know, bring us another story sometime soon, and we would love to have you back. Cause this is this is <laughs> gripping. I've enjoyed this very much, so I'm sure. And people can, can find you where, John. I know you. It's at Jonathan Merritt on Twitter, and then you, uh, you do work at Twitter, religion. I'm on Twitter. I'm on Facebook. I'm on Instagram, um, and uh, you can also find me at the Atlantic at Religion News Service, or go to my website. I typically will update my articles there eventually, but follow me on social media if you want. I have a newsletter called The Faith and Culture 5. If you go to jonathanmerritt.com, you can sign up for that. And basically what I do is every week, there are a lot of people who who they want to stay clued into stories like this, but they don't know where to get them. And I'm not the only one writing about these. So what I try to do is send out uh, every week, hey, here are just the top five stories that I think you ought to be aware of. That's You're busy. Awesome. You don't have time to follow everybody. Let me just give them to you directly to your your email uh, box. I'm not I'm not out there trying to like sell mm-hmm. people things. No, that sounds good. I'm just trying to provide a service. Yeah, we yeah. could. I could use that. We're always looking for stuff to discuss and what's yeah. going on, and we miss half of it. Almost miss this story. But yeah, thank you for coming on today, and we'll sign up for your newsletter too. Yeah, yeah, my Pre- pleasure. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it, Jonathan. Thanks, Jonathan. Okie dokie, Jonathan wow. Merritt. Well. That, you know what's funny is that whenever we talk to somebody that is actually smart and more eloquent and better spoken than us, it what do we normally just, talk to? Idiots? It, Chop liver? No, 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 no. We talk. That, that's what I'm saying. Every time we talk to certain, to, there are some people that we talk to that aren't. <laughs> There's some chop we're on, liver. We're on, we're on par with. Yeah. But like Jonathan is just so uh, well spoken and articulate, and the way I mean, it, it really is impressive. And like, it, I sat back and kind of listened. I mean, I just I really enjoyed that interview. Well, I'm not. I don't. I, I just don't. We're not think that good, Matt. No, I, I agree, but I, I don't know how to speak of him well without fa- sounding like I'm speaking ill of others. But uh, I enjoyed that interview <laughs> more than more than. No, yeah, I enjoy a lot of interviews, but I'm just saying it's just it's neat when you see somebody, especially what what I would call in the Christian world and an influencer in the Christian world, be so uh, level headed. You know, well, he I had mean, like information the things, that was yeah. engaging. Yeah. you know, and that's I it. Was I was really just good. soaking it up. I was interested in what he would say. 
Which blows me away because why in the hell are uh, how have we deceived people like uh, Abraham Garcia, Eric DeLong, Roger Vinberg, Christine Blossom, Andrew Vanover, Ben Adams, and Zach Ruff? They're in the they're in the BC club. How in the world have we fooled them to be a part of a club that we started? I, don't I, I mean, know. it. You know what it is? It proves God. Like how, in spite that? of yourself. God can deliver and do things. So, if you're feeling the calling right now, you should join the BC Club too. If you you, because, you just uh, mean the, if you the believe Holy in God, moving. you should join the BC Club, right? Or don't, uh, or don't, and choose a fiery torment forever. That's mm. your choice. We're not. I mean, we're not going to force anybody to be in the BC Club, but just know it's probably the thing you should do, or else. So you believe that fire. there is really only one way to heaven. It's just a different... Do the BC Club. Right, right. It's just a different <laughs> I mean, way. Well, Jesus, I, I will, I, I, I'll give you that. Well, there's two, Jesus, two ways then. Jesus died for our sins, and so he is the reason, but he is a fully endorsed BC Club, and I, and I saw that in a dream. I had a dream one time where Jesus came down <laughs> out of the sky, said BC Club is the way, the new thing. It, it's better than probably you know 90% of churches out there. So. No, you got it. All right. That's well, really intense. Long episode, everybody. Thank you for being here, and thank you to the BC Club. Yes. If you'd like to join that community, which is it's a kick-ass community, if I do say so myself, Yes. thebcclub.com. You can find out a little bit more about what you get if you join, but right. you make us real happy and keep this yeah. thing going on, and it's going nice and going on and going strong. And don't forget, if that was interesting to you about the Emory bus thing, Jump yep, on you want it. Get your name on a bus. Get your name in the thing. Get the live album from Emory, emorymusic.com. See y'all next week. Peace. You've been listening to the Jabberjaw Podcast Network, jabberjawmedia.com.